This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Hey everyone, it's Madison again. So this is another new episode type, another new mini-series that we're testing out here. Uh, this is called Through the Ultra Wormhole. And the idea came from a discussion Jared, Sessie, and I had uh, months ago uh, about the Ultra Beasts and about the non-native species that they were based on and the research that went into selecting them and how they work in the game. So uh, the goal of this series is to talk about non-native species and some of the conflicts and uh, situations that arise around them, as well as, you know, steps that we can take on our own to kind of uh, diminish those conflicts. So I hope you, you know, enjoy this. Uh, Jared put a lot of work into this and I'm really excited. So can't wait to see you guys back next week with a regular episode of Pokey Science. Love you all. When I was younger, I wanted to know, where did that come from? How did it get here? The only way to find out is through the wormhole. Hey everyone, welcome to Through the Ultra Wormhole. I'm Madison, and I'm joining our host, Jared. This is our new mini-series. We're going to take a deep dive into non-local and non-native species, uh, as well as Pokemon, and look at all of the impacts, the conflicts, and where we see this in the games. So before we begin, Jared, what are non-local and non-native species? I thought they were invasive species or pests. What are these? They were formerly known as invasive species or pests. However, over the years, we've adapted new nomenclature and have called them non-local or non-native species instead. So these are plant animals or other living organisms that thrive in areas where they don't naturally live and can cause or do cause economic or environmental concerns or to humans, to animals, or to plants. So the, the impact these species have is they can degrade, change, or displace native habitats, compete with the native wildlife, and be a, um, a concern to biodiversity. Now, I have a question here. Yes. Don't non-native and non-local species make things more diverse? Or is that an oxymoron? It's an oxymoron. They do make things more diverse because, hey, there's new species now being added to these habitats. But, so is it like a short-term versus long-term then? Yes. There's a short-term impact of like, they increase the biodiversity in the area. However, long-term that can rapidly change over time due to displacing these, uh, displacing the native species that are already there by outcompeting them. It's like in plants, when I was out west, there was lots of prairie grasses that were left over even after all the agriculture. Yet then there was this new species called downy brome was brought in and this species then outcompeted everything. So now instead of seeing fields of beautiful prairie grasses and all these native shrubbery, you instead had fields of this species, downy brome, instead because it outcompeted everything and took a beautiful, diverse culture and turned it into a monoculture instead. So, like, that's kind of like lawns in America, right? I know my neighbor has. Uh, what's it called? Taken her lawn back, and even Kevin and I are trying to plant more native plants in our yard. But that's because like things like grass are not native, right? Because you and I are kind of in like similar areas in the country. So like a lot of the grass that we have in our yards are like the Kentucky bluegrass, the uh, lawn fields, which those would be like the old, um, the pristine mono, just one grass species 
in your lawn and then eliminating everything else. The idea of like retaking your lawn back is actually taking what the grass, the lawn, would have looked like years and years beforehand, before like the Revolutionary War, before England colonized America, what the fields would have looked like before colonialism happened in America, what they would have looked like back then with all the native species. So that was kind of like those prayers that I was talking about before, and that's what your lawn would have looked like years and years ago before we put suburban lawns in and did just one species instead. And then when we lose native species, it's almost like a chain, right? Like one thing loses the other, loses the other then? Yeah, so if we're losing like, I'll go to the downy brum example because it's one that I know extremely well. By getting rid of the native grasses there, a lot of the pollinators don't pollen, uh, would need the wildflowers or the wild grasses that were there for pollination, not the downy brum. A lot of the birds don't eat the downy brum because it's a harder uh, seed coating on the outside, so they can't actually get through it, and there's no real nutritional value to it, which can cause then the birds to go extinct because they're losing one of their main food sources and now don't have that issue. Same issue with small mammals, and then it's a huge chain effect all up and down the, um, the food web. A big thing that people don't always understand and are more learning about is the impact of how do these species actually come over into uh, new countries, into new areas. So they could be accidentally spread. Ships are a really great example of this. We have such things as, we'll talk about them later, we'll talk about black rats. They were carried over in ships or in canoes with cats and dogs and other animals, or the one of the bigger concerns uh, right now is the zebra mussels. They can come from ballast water that's actually released by the boats or with like plants, especially. You'll see this a lot at national parks when you're walking through forests and areas. You'll see like a little shoe scrubber. The idea behind that is to, um, that you're not carrying seeds from like where you've been that could be non-native to that area and cleaning your shoes off before you go into the forest. And then when you come outside of the forest, because seeds like to attach to your shoes or to your socks or things. And that's how they travel around into different areas. Other ways is by human cause is we buy them as pets. We see this when you see like pictures you might've seen of um, goldfish that are sitting in ponds. There's nothing that eats goldfish. So goldfish just grow. They have no predators. So they just grow into massive uh, voracious predators and they eat everything and they grow into massive sides. That was by us releasing them from pets. Burmese pythons in Florida are another great example of that. Or we've put them into our gardens. Kudzu, um, if you live on the East Coast, is a very great example of that. And then they get released into the wild. Then these non-native and non-local species start causing conflict. They will outcompete the native species if you're a plant for sun, your soil nutrients, and space, while your mammals and fish will outcompete for food and habitat. The other way they cause conflict is they bring diseases into areas where the diseases weren't prevalent beforehand, causing disease to spread to humans and to other animals that are more susceptible to it. I have two questions. So this is why like you're not supposed to buy firewood and transport it, right? Yes. Okay, because I know I've had people who've made fun of that. They're like, well, I'm going to bring my own firewood from home. And I'm like, I don't think you're supposed to do that, yo. I think you're supposed to buy it where you're at. It's like, like 10 miles from the site or something. Well, you don't know what's in your firewood. You could have insects or other things that are living inside of your wood still. Or you could have other plants that are touched on top of it, like the emerald 
ash borer that is destroying ash trees all across America is inside of, of course, is inside of ash trees. So if you don't know if your tree could be infected. So if you would like, say, cut down limbs of your ash tree and carry it to another state, you don't know if your tree has the insects living inside of it and then they could get out and then spread and cause uh, cause a whole new air- area to be infected by these species instead. That's why you also have to be careful when you buy vegetable seeds from like the grocery store and like the little packets and stuff is because sometimes those uh, they'll have, I don't know if they call it fluff or it'll just be extra like seeds that are in there. You don't know what they actually are. They could be a grass species of somewhere else. That's why you'll see if you buy from like a nursery or stuff, they'll have percentages of what seeds are actually in the mix. And you try to make sure you see ones that don't have weed or non-native species in there. So you're not called, um, so you're not just spreading them all over your own garden when you're planting them. We do that when we buy stuff for our garden because Kevin's a big gardener. And when, when, when you come out here and hang out with us, you're going to have gardening nerd talk because uh, he totally just set up an entire irrigation system for our yard. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did. He did. Our vegetable garden now has his full automated irrigation system. But we do that too. You know, we buy all of our uh, plants for our front yard, like our shrubbery and stuff, and all of our vegetables locally um, from local nurseries so that we know where things are coming from and we are sure that we're not. Because I do know that like our area where we live used to have a lot of like milkweed, for instance. And now there's not any. And I know my, you know, some people in my neighborhood have worked really hard to try to bring back native species to get pollinators back. So, you know, us too, we do plant like pollinator bushes to try to attract as well. Yep. We're not here to talk about uh, about these non-native and non-local species. We're talking about something different today, though. We're talking about rats, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, we are. Ricky the rat? Ricky the rat. Yeah, Ricky the rat. Or Radigan. We're talking about Radigan. Do you get that one? Yes, from the Great Mouse Detective. Oh, yes. Radigan. <laughs> Great. Now that song's going to be stuck in my head now for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm going to have to play it in the car. Radigan. You're welcome. Enjoy it. It's a great song. Nothing but a sewer rat. <laughs> okay, so tell us about it. What is, like, so rats are a non, uh, non-native, non uh, you know, species very often, right? Yes. So how'd that happen? How did that happen? Well, I kind of talked about it before. Well, how they got here was a lot of it is from boats being brought overseas. But how, why they are non-native species and why they're a, um, of a concern is because they have a health concern and an environmental uh, concern with them. So rats can carry many different types of disease or other species that can carry disease such as ticks or fleas. So rats are known carriers. They have the hot virus. They have foodborne illnesses and it's rare in the United States, but we get a case every once in a while. We get the bubonic plague or typhoid fever. So the impact of the diseases, we've seen this in history with the Black Death that ripped through Europe. That was the bubonic plague in the 1300s, which was caused by fleas that carry the pathogen. And then they, they were carried on the back of black rats that were spread from on ships in different ports. Lila and I just talked about this in the last Lila's lessons, actually, about ticks. And about Lyme disease being on the rise because of uh, mice. I live in Pennsylvania and in the county that I live in, you can report when you have Lyme disease because I've had it and there isn't much they can do because it is so prevalent in our county that it is... uh, That's terrifying. Yeah, it's a huge concern. I I have it. I got it years ago from a tick. 
But let's get back to rats. Sorry for sidebarring you there. Rats are amazing. And then the other thing with rats is, uh, this is more for human concern, would be more the agricultural damage. Um, so Hawaii, they talk about how in the big islands, the macadamia nut, uh, they consume about 5 to 10% of the crop each year. And then agriculture, that's a huge thing. That's for humans, that's money. And that's also food being um, taken away. And then environmentally, uh, rats can disrupt your ecosystem functions. So they eat a lot of different animals. They can eat a lot of different plants. But then they can also cause an indirect issues by interrupting pollination or seed predation by eating the seeds or by eating the plants that are normally pollinated or by eating the pollinators. We see this a lot on islands, especially. There's a big detrimental impact because there's not normally a large or smaller mammalian predator. So Hawaii is a really great example. They lost a lot of native birds to the presence of rats because rats would eat the smaller birds and the eggs as well as compete and outcompete for a lot of the birds' food sources, causing extinction that way of some of few native uh, bird species on the islands. So we have three rat species that are of the most concerned. So there are the black rat, or it's also known as the ship rat. Then we have the brown or Norwegian rat, and then the Pacific rat. These three make up the most of the non-native rat species that we have. Okay, so like rat, lots of rats everywhere. People are introducing them. Guys, check your clothes. Don't make sure you don't got any extra rats in your pocket. You heard heard Jared. That's a problem. Don't have extra rats in your pocket. That said, we're going to talk about Pokemon. We have a rat Pokemon, right? Oh, we most certainly do have a rat Pokemon. Jigglypuff. Yes, it's the great Pokemon known as Clefairy. Clefairy. No, but it is a early Route 1, Generation 1. Youngster Joey loves his so much. It's Rattata. Isn't his name in Japanese just Rat? Yes. Okay, yeah, Rat, Rat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rat. We're talking about... No way. Rattata. So, Rattata, based on a rat. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? And it was actually known as the rat Pokemon. And then in Gen 3 and beyond, it now shares the mouse category with Pikachu, Shandrew, and then the new Palmy uh, lines. But today, I actually really want to focus on Alolan Rattata. Because Alolan Rattata has a special place in the non-native library of species, if we want to call it. Because it is based on a combination of the three rats that I talked about earlier. The black rat, the brown rat, and the Pacific rat. Because if you didn't already know, Alola is based on Hawaii. So with Hawaii, rats, just for a little background information, rats were actually brought over in canoes when the islands were settled by the Polynesians with dogs and cats. And then because... So I was right. People got to check their pockets. Yes. Because... Well, rats, a lot of rats aren't very good swimmers, but they are really, really good climbers. So they weren't able to swim across the water, but they were able to climb onto the boats and come over onto the islands that way instead. So in the Pokedex, we'll find examples of why they are a um, non-native species and bring a conflict to the areas that they're in. So these rats are nocturnal. Just get that out of the way first. And according to the Pokedex, they gnaw their way into people's home and steal food in the middle of the night. The Ultramoon Pokedex gives an example of them being a concern by saying that night after night, they sneak into people's homes seeking food. A massive outbreak of them has become an issue of public concern. So this mention of public concern is more like a part of it being a human concern because they're taking the food from the Hololan people, but it's still a concern. So Alolan Rattata also has the really cool distinction of being paired with another Pokemon in the same game that they're based off of each other and the 
the interaction that you can find between the two, that Alolan Ratatata and then Young Goose. Young Goose, of course, is based on, based on a mongoose. So an idea years ago in non-native species management, there is something about what type of methods that you can use to control uh, species. So you have like the cultural, mechanical, chemical, biological. So they used a biological method by introducing another species that would hunt down the, rat, uh, the rats. They introduced the mongoose. The mongoose is diurnal, comes out during the day. Your rat is nocturnal, comes out at night. So they actually never interacted with each other, which in the games you can see that Ratatata, Lola Ratatata, always comes out at night and is a dark type. And then you see with Young Goose, it's a normal type and it only can be found during the day instead. So that kind of cool shows the cool distinction there. In the games, right, Ratatata and the Young Goose are mortal enemies. And just like we saw in Hawaii, people introduced a predator to take care of the non-native species, but it didn't fix the problem and it made a new problem. Yep. Essentially created a new problem, right? They brought in something to get rid of the Ratatata. And it ends up becoming, uh, was it gumshoes? Yes, gumshoes. And that thing's an even worse problem than Ratatata, because look at that thing. That thing is terrifying, it is awful, and it is the worst, and let's get rid of it and send it on a ship and get it out of here. Goodbye. So yeah, there are unintended consequences of trying to deal with non-native species sometimes does equal harm then, correct? Issue that we found with biological uh, management and why we have to have such an intensive program to figure out what to do to target a non-native species because in the end if something goes wrong we've now introduced another non-native species into the area and can cause more uh conflict and concern that way which is what ended up happening with the mongoose is is a double issue so we went from 99 problems to 188 problems yes something like that yeah, it was yeah, the- that's not 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 very great. No. Uh, so then let me ask you, what can we do with rats particularly? Like how do we make sure that there isn't conflict with non-native rats? Or how do we make sure that we're not bringing them into places? Like what can we do? So ways that you can make sure that you're not bringing non-native rats into, I'm always going with the easy thing is making sure you're not bringing them into your home or into other areas is being clean is a really great way. Uh, making sure there's not food laying on the ground, make sure that like, if you have a dog that you feed outside, making sure that you clean up after your dog that you're feeding outside. So the rats don't come out of like the woods and the, um, and try to eat that. And then they want to come inside your house. Then making sure that you like trim your bushes and other areas back outside your shrubs so that there isn't as much of a space for them to have homes to be sitting in or that you overlook. And then, then they try to find a way inside your house in your house, just making sure that you have the gap sealed in your house because rats will fit through a lot of things and they will try to get inside your house because there's warmth, there's food. You see this a lot in like the winter time when a lot of people normally have a lot more issues with uh, mice and rodent species because it's warm inside. They want to go to the warm. Making sure that like when you're cleaning up and you're like throwing your garbage away, make sure it's sealed inside of a bag. Make sure you're putting it inside of a garbage can so the rats just aren't trying to gnaw it inside. More issues like that, and then if they do get inside of your home or get inside of area, calling a professional if you don't feel safe putting traps down and figuring out where they're coming from. And then just when you're going places, just make sure that like if you're going to be traveling in an area, if you know that you have like a rat problem near your house or something, just making sure that you're not they're not in your car or not in your like I don't want to say your exhaust pipe, but I we had a mouse in our that lived in our exhaust pipe in one of our trucks when I worked out in on the west. 
And we have this issue before, just making sure that they're not around so that you're not just transporting them into new areas where they're found. But just being clean and just being very careful and just making sure that you're checking and making sure that they're not um, trying to get into your house or into places where they can be transported around. Perfect. So there you have it here. You have steps that you can make sure that you're not bringing any more ratatatas on your next adventure. Thanks, Jared. This was so much fun. I cannot wait to do it again. I can't either. Can't wait till the next episode. I'll be here with bells on.